Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Your commendation is defined as an expression of approval, praise, and gratitude. And the New Testament gives us many examples of commendation uh, in the letters of Paul and others, where it was right to comment, it commends Paul and Barnabas, Judas and Silas in, chap, in Acts, Phoebe in Romans. In 1 Corinthians, we see Stephanus and Fortinaeus and Achaeus. Uh, the envoys for the poor for the for the poor fund in Second Corinthians are Tychicus and Ephesians, Onesimus and Marcus, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as we saw in Philippians, Udia and Synthesis, <clears throat> different various leaders in Thessalonica, and then the Philemon. And what we see is that commendation is good. It is good and proper for us to commend individuals and groups of people for actions, for decisions, and behaviors that benefit others and their community. And we need to do that with those who teach and preach and even serve here, as we saw in our scripture reading, is that there are many various gifts. We should make it a daily practice to commend others for their generous, cheerful, and sacrificial service, especially in the cause of Christ. And as an editorial note or pastoral note, I would give you is that's another reason why we come and gather together is to commend others, to encourage others, to think others, to come and serve. Not that that should be our motivation, but yet we realize that that should be part and parcel of the Christian life. I think of Paul's words of encouragement to Mark, who at one time was a young man that that had abandoned Paul in the ministry at one time. But you see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and 11, where Paul writes to Timothy to get Mark and bring him here with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. And I would say that I am no Paul, but definitely Dustin has been a Mark for me, as well as many of you. You have been useful for us in the ministry. And I pray that I can say the same or you could say the same of our ministry. I'm sure that captures the sentiment of all of us here at OBC when we say that Dustin and Sarah have been very useful to us for the ministry. And it's good and proper for us to commend both of them for their wonderful God-exalting ministry among us. It is with joy and gladness that we release them in their next step of ministry. And we pray that God will bless them and use them as he has here at OVDC. Of course, they are not the only ones that God has used mightily over the years here at OVDC, not as a church that has over 60 uh, plus years of service. All of you have played a great part in the spiritual growth and maturity of this community of believers, especially as I speak of my last 13 and a half years here. We are reminded of Paul's teaching to the church of Corinth where he says, just as he said to the Romans, for just as the body is one and has many members, speaking of the physical body, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is, he says, it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit we are all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, doesn't matter what your ethnic, doesn't matter what your social and economic background is, all were made to drink of the same one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. We all have our roles and parts to play in serving Christ and each other. However, we must be aware of a cancer that eats away at the very fabric of society, of communities, of groups and families, and even the church. And as that is the problem of individualism. The problem of individualism. And if you go to the monitor here, I want to give you a definition. Individualism is a way of life that makes the individual supreme or sovereign over everything. Once again, individualism is a way of life that makes the individual supreme or sovereign over anything. And if you need a great example, try any child under three. They very much know individuals. They are supreme and sovereign over all things, including your sleeping schedule. Individualism is an outworking of a prideful heart. And it is a prideful heart that you and I must realize that led to our first parents' rebellion against the holy God and the rejection of God's word. In doing so, they thrust the whole world into sin and fell into condemnation rather than commendation. Here in America, we have elevated individualism as an idol. If anything captures the American dream or the vision of what America is, it is the rugged, self-reliant individual who pulls himself up by his own bootstraps. Unfortunately, this has bled into the teaching and values of the church. People think of religion as just having a personal relationship with Christ. One in which they are beholden to no one but God and themselves. It has led many to interpret the word of God as they see fit. It has diminished the purposes and the gathering of the church body and has ignored the counsels of pastors, elders, and teachers into our lives. <clears throat> Yet we see from the pages of scripture that God from the beginning has called not just individuals, but he has called and chosen a people, organizing and forming individuals and families into a community that covenants to live life together. We are not living on islands of our own making. John Locke, the great historian or philosopher, wrote that from a physical standpoint, a community is a collection of individuals but the residents of a true community, listen to this, act like members of something that is larger than, than themselves. And I believe even though that's coming from a man philosophy, he's capturing some of what scripture is saying. Is that you and I are part of something much larger than ourselves. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you are a body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. Something larger than just yourself. To combat the lure of individualism that you see there, 
God has created the church, both the invisible and the visible, the universal and the local. So let me break that down for you. What is the invisible and visible church? What does that mean? Well, the invisible church and the universal church are synonymous. It's that church which you cannot see. It is universal. It is all those that have turned and repented from their sin and turned and put their trust in Christ. Those are our brothers and sisters in China, in Iraq, in North Korea, in Brazil, throughout all the world that you and I do not know. That is the invisible, the universal church that you and I all belong to. You may call that the bride of Christ from future past to those that may accept Christ in the future. But also the, the, the visible and the local church is OVBC. It's the beacon. It's the, it's the community church. It's Grace Community. It's Del Soro Baptist Church. It's those churches that are the local, visible expression of God's people. And that's what we are here this morning. We are the visible expression of God's church. Here at OVBC, we are more than just a collection of individuals that meet to perform our religious duties. We are much more than that where we gather together. We are a community of believers that have covenant together, committed to doing life together by submitting to Christ as our Lord and to encourage and exhort each other to grow in spiritual maturity. It's a sad fact for many of us and for many churches that we are a various collection of people who drive from different places. We may not even live in the same neighborhood. Maybe many of us are from different cities, but we we conjugate here together. We come in and then we leave and go our separate ways, never to see each other until the next meeting. But we're to be more than that. I want to give you a vision for more than just that. Pastor Randy Frazee in his book, The Connecting Church, it's here on the monitor so you can follow along with me. He writes about community. He says, community must have a place, must have in place, excuse me, a respected spiritual authority. Excuse me, I may have fits every once in a while here of, of coughing. Individuals who are biblically liber- uh, literate and who can serve as exemplary, exemplary spiritual men- men- mentors. And those who can speak, I think, would probably be a good one. <clears throat> you have to remember, I haven't preached in five months. This, is, uh, this, is, uh, this gathering must have a common creed that lays out the beliefs, the practices, and virtues that the members of the community agree to follow to encourage in each other and to which they are all held accountable. They must resurrect old or create new Christian traditions that assist assist in submitting the history and the purpose of the Christian faith for the next generation. And if this community is to be effective long-term, there must be standards that are considered normal behavior for all Christian followers. So with that, it is important for you and I to understand that you and I must combat the lure of individualism that is so deeply ingrained, that is inborn in us to rediscover the common purpose of community. And there's five of them that he mentioned. I'll just go over them very quickly. It's the authority. And that's the authority of God's word. That Christ has revealed his word to us and it is his authority that all things that pertain to life and godliness are held within God's word. 
Not my opinion, not my thoughts, not my interpretation, but that which God has given to us. The common creeds, what we call the ancient beliefs, and Dustin took us through many of those <clears throat> through uh, our Sunday school class, things that Christian needs to know. In other words, there's things that as Christians, you and I need to know, things like the Trinity, salvation, our real identity, the authority of the Bible, the person, the personal God, uh, what it is about humanity and the church, stewardship, what about eternity? All those things are things to know. There's also those traditions, those things that make us come together, like our, our church banquet, our church Christmas thing that we do, things in which we come together and we rejoice and we mark time with then also number four is Christian practices things that we as Christians are to do yes there is an expectation as Christians things of studying our Bible of being together in biblical community of giving away my money my time my life and my faith of prayer of using our spiritual gifts to encourage and to build one another up to worship to be of single-mindedness of the things of Christ we are called to do something as a church, individually, but as together. And then fifthly, Christian virtues. Those are things we are to be. Things that people would describe us, such as his gentleness, faithfulness, hope, joy, humility, love, peace, self-control. You may recognize these as the fruits of the Spirit. These should be the things that mark a biblical, authentic community. It should be said of us, that is a gentle church. That is a kind church. That is a loving church. But it also is a church that knows it's the Bible, that knows the Word of God. It is a church that is active in feeding the hungry, taking care of its members, taking care of its missionaries. As a covenant community of believers... <clears throat> our commitment here is to become fully devoted followers of Christ. And these are the things that shape us and direct us. It's our vision. So where do we go from there? Now that was just the introduction. So now I'm going to get into the message. Where do we go from there? If that's what we are called to, then how do we get to become committed followers of Christ, devoted to the things of Christ? How do we become an authentic biblical community? How do I get rid of that individualism that comes in and demands its own way, that wants its own seat, that wants the music to be the way they want it? How do I do that? Well, it's found in Acts chapter 2, and I believe you're there in your, in your Bible. Again, I want to encourage you, please bring your Bibles with you to church. If you're in need of one, please let me know. If you do not have one, it's there on the screen for you. <clears throat> Look at Acts chapter 2, starting with verse 37. Luke writes, now when they heard this, speaking of the, the gospel, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What a great question. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And verse 40. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. Verse 41, we get to it. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word, open our hearts. Search our hearts for those signs of individualism that still seeps in, in desire, that desire which seeks to be sovereign and have all things, the ways in which we made ourselves or something else, an idol, that which serves us. Expose it, and Father, I pray that your spirit would work to help us to root it out, help us to see the truth of your word, to be those who are committed to doing life together as an authentic biblical community. We thank you for this you have given your life, for this you are preparing us for, for this is what eternity will look like. We pray and thank you for this time in your name. Amen. So building authentic biblical community is going to consist, and I'm going to give you nine things from this portion of Scripture. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. I think most of it is self-explanatory. But I want to give you nine ways in which you and I need to combat the individualism that we have to fight so often in which we must then become a biblical community of authentic Christians. The first, this is a must-have. And this is a step, the first step is the step that most people skip. But it must be done. And the number one is a regenerated a heart. You must have a heart that is born again. If you and I are not born again, we cannot be part of an authentic biblical community. Now you can go to one. You can probably even become a member of one. You can be involved in things. You can go to small groups. You can give. You can do all those things, but you are not part of either the local or universal church in God's eyes. We use that phrase many times that we are all God's children. We saw that in Sunday school, but that is not true. We are all created in God's image, but we are not all children of God. To be a child of God is to be born again. What does that mean? To repent of our dead works and recognize that we must trust in Christ. Look what he says in verse 7, 37. is when Peter preached, and I would encourage you to go back and read his message. He says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You and I need a new heart that's promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He says, the rest of the apostles, they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent. 
and be baptized. It's understanding that our hearts must be made new. You see, the scripture describes man's fallen heart and our intellectual capacity as that which is debased, which is hardened, which is blinded in futility. It's darkened. It's hostile. It's deluded. It's deceived. It's depraved. It's corrupted and it's defiled. That is you and I born into this world. As much as we love our young little boys and girls that are here at church, we must recognize that the Mustang Man and Michael and little Lily and the rest, they are born in sin with a prideful heart, with a hardwired individualism that will rebel and reject God at every opportunity. These phrases here are their hearts. It's not something that's created by their environment. It's not something that's created by their social structures. It is that which they are born into. I'll have to take an amen at that point. Those are harsh points. But we must recognize that. For that's what our duty as a community then is to train up our children, to share with them the word of God so that God may cut into their hearts and have that spiritual heart transplant. So the first step to have a biblical, authentic community is that a collection of God's people is those with regenerated hearts. And I pray, this is my prayer, it's our elders' prayer, when we pray every Tuesday, as we go through the list of people in our church, that each and every one of you one day will stand before God and will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But I also understand that even in a church this size, there are some of you here that may not have a new heart. You may think you have a new heart. You might have said some words. You may look like a Christian, act like a Christian, and talk like a Christian, but yet your heart has not yet been made new. And I pray today that God, through the Holy Spirit, will expose that, that you'll be cut to the heart, and you too will see the folly of living life according to your own plan and own desires and turn and trust in him. So not only is the first step is the regenerated heart, but the second one is a covenant commitment. In verse 20, 41, you see those who received his words were baptized. And again, I would encourage you, if you have not yet been baptized, if you have a regenerated heart, but had not yet been baptized, I encourage you to do so today. That's obedience. I would say here, and this is, again, tough words. You don't have to forgive me because I'm just blame God's word. This is what he says, is that if you have not yet followed the Lord in obedience, you are actually in disobedience if you have not been baptized. And so I would say your first step is to come and say, I desire to be baptized, to show, to tell others that I have accepted Christ that is the, the addition. It says, and they were added to the day about 3,000 souls. So there is a commitment. There's a joining together of these people. You're going to see this as it goes on. Number two or three, there's a hunger for God's word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It tells us in verse 42, and the fellowship into the breaking of bread and prayer. So you see a covenant commitment with a hunger for the word of God. Our church should be marked by a hunger for a word of God. And I would have to say over these last uh, 12 years, and especially these last six years, 
I definitely see a, a greater desire and hunger for God's word. But never let it be satisfied. But let it always be hungered for more. Number five, there's a genuine love and care for other believers. And this is why this is so important. The individualism will push against each and every one of these. But look at verse 44. It says, all who believed were together and they had all things in what? Common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, some would say, well, well, isn't this a biblical thing for socialism? And many would claim so, but this is not what it's saying. And you'll see in Acts chapter 6, what they were doing is many of them were selling extra homes and other belongings that they have so that they could give to others that are in need. In every church, there are going to be those who have and those who do not. Even in a church that may be of, of a lower social economic standard, there's always going to be that. And for us, the way that we express that is by coming together and meeting our needs. Again, I know that I've been speaking much about giving, and I think it's important. We don't speak much about it. But again, one of the ways in which we meet the needs of each other is through the deacon's funds. So I, I, I encourage you, make that part of your budget and of your giving, of giving to the deacon's fund, which helps those within the church. But besides that, you don't have to wait for the deacon's fund. If you see a need and it's within you to help, then do so. Reach out to them. Help them. If you see them that they're just, you know, that their countenance is down, find out what's going on. It may be financial. It may just be relationships. It may be just encouraging them and lifting them up. It's not always financial. It could be just they need a friend. They need a buddy. I can think of many, uh, not many, but several people in our church that do not have any friends. They come and then we scatter. Let me ask, when you come this morning, did you think, hey, I'm going to look for this person. I'm going to sit by them. You know what? I'm going to even ask them what they're doing for lunch afterwards. Well, today we're doing the picnic, so just invite them to the picnic. But God says that they had all things in common. They had a hunger for God's word. Number four, actually, I missed one. We'll go back to that. It says not only a hunger for the word of God, but number four, it's a wonder for the works of God. A wonder for the works of God. All, it says in verse 43, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs will be done to the apostles. One of the things I miss from this church as we did this for a while is at the end of the service, <clears throat> I would ask, would anyone have any word of testimony, any way in which God has answered a prayer, God's working in your heart? And to be honest, I finally stopped it because I got tired of listening to the crickets. If I were to ask you now to stand up and tell me what God has done for you, would anyone be willing to stand? I understand that there may be a fear, but in a biblical, authentic community, you're within family. Some of us come to church with such a look and countenance on our face and in our body that I'm not sure God is working in your life. Maybe it's just in a, a, a small way, but God is working. Uh, for those of you who haven't been in our Sunday school class, we've been watching a video, video called The American Gospel. I encourage you, if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it. 
And it is a woman named Catherine Berger, who it seems like every week as we watch the video, something else is going wrong with her physically. But yet she says she's more happier now than she's ever been. I would love to institute that where we would stand up and we would praise God. But I don't think we're looking for God to work. I don't think we even see the way in which God works in wonderful ways each and every day. Every breath you've taken as you listen to me is a gift from God. The very fact that your muscles and blood and vessels aren't just pouring all over our our carpet is because you have skin. What would you do without skin? Have you ever thought about that? Now, some of your skins are prettier than others, but man, it's skin. It's holding you in. Let me tell you, it's better than what's inside. A wonder for the works of God. A genuine love for care for others, for other believers. Number six, there's a commitment to do life together. It says in verse 646, and day by day they attended the temple together. You're wondering about, oh my goodness, I got to come on Sunday and I got to wake up and be there by 1040. How will I ever do that? But not only that, they break bread in their homes along with attending the temple and they receive their food with glad and generous hearts day by day. Don't wait, wait every seven days to see each other. Invite each other over. Get involved in lives. Get involved in small groups and in Sunday school. Look for ways to interject yourself into someone else's life. That'll be interesting. Number eight, a mark of an authentic biblical community was worship that attracts. I don't know what that was. We'll just keep going. Worship that attracts. Look at verse 46. It says they were praising God and having favor with all people. Now, unfortunately, we have taken that to mean that we must have all the wonderful lights We need to have some type of floor show. There must be some type of of explosions coming up. And the band's got to do something, you know, and you got to have all the the bells and whistles. And there are churches that are like that, and many times you may enjoy them. I was one time at a church here in the local area. I went there for Easter, and I went and had communion. And right after communion, there was a big boom, and confetti started to fall from the ceiling. And all I could think of is the poor janitor. Because <laughs> that would probably be my job to clean up. But the thing is, is once you do that, once you do that, if you attract people that way, that's how what you got to do to continue to keep them. And so we dis- Disney-fied in Hollywood our, our services. We have a pastor walking around during March Madness making baskets and shooting baskets while he's talking about something or pastors who are riding their motorcycles up the platform, which I don't do because no one's bought me a motorcycle yet. But then, he, you know, it's just all sorts of wild things. I, you know, I, I need a zip line from there one of these days. Wouldn't that be funny? But when people come, our worship should be what's attractive to them. Now, it's not the bells and whistles. It's the genuineness of our heart. I don't care if you clap. That's fine. If you want to raise your hands, that's fine. 
don't jump the chairs, please. Our insurance won't cover that. But you've got to do, you know, there's a, way, a sense in which it's genuine in our hearts and it's in our face. We're going to sing a song in a minute. And I remember doing this, at a, and I used to be a, a song leader, you know, just him straight back in Old Baptist Church. And we would sing, oh, how I love Jesus. Love that song. But you would have people who say, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And you look at their face, and I think the best thing that a church should do is not put a great band here, but put a giant mirror right here so you can see what we're seeing sometimes. Because it's like, look at your faces and your body expressions. Okay, I'm almost done. I know that. I can see, I can read it. I can see in your face. But number nine, we need to trust in God's favor. Look at Acts chapter two. God's blessings for this authentic biblical community is found at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Now there's many times that I'll come out and I'll look at our parking lot and I say, Lord, I really wish we could have this. During the week, our parking lot is full. We'll have 60, 70, 80, 100 people through here doing all the food things that we do, the tutoring. And I pray, Lord, why can't we have that on Sunday? Lord, why don't you add to it? What am I not doing? I feel like I'm preaching God's word. I feel like we're giving a good presentation. That's all God. But then I remember, no, God added daily. I even said that this morning, Lord, I know that you'll add to our church when our church is able to take care of all those that are here now. And I have to tell you, there are many ways in which we are not meeting the needs of everyone here today. And some of you may be saying amen in your heart because you're saying you're not meeting my need, Pastor. This church is not yet filling it. I would say then please let us know. Go to the elders. Go to the deacons. Reach out to their hearts. And let them know as well. But the Lord added, and it says that they were found in favor, not only with God, but with man. These practices and attitudes that they had impacted the community around them. The community could not help but notice the changes taking place. And that's what we want to see. What is the hope? What is the reason for the hope that you have? How can you live in today's society, political, social, culturally? How do you come out of here with the joy? You should say, come in here to church and we'll show you. Because you will find the Spirit here. You will find the Word of God here. You will find God's people who have a hope. God uses their cohesiveness to attract others to the community and to grow the church. You and I can sum up their community by saying that they cared for each other by meeting the needs of each other. They met together for worship and for encouragement. They ate together with grateful hearts and they praised God together. Let that be said of OVDC. This description should describe us as well. You and I are called to model the first church of Jerusalem. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4 very quickly if you would. And let me close with this verse. <clears throat> this is an infamous verse of scripture. <laughs> and a favorite of many. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul instructs the church of Ephesus on God's plan and how to bring us to spiritual maturity, how to help us become an authentic biblical community. 
of believers. It's found in verse 11, where he says, And God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. For what reason? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Recognize it's not for those people to do the ministry, but to equip the workers for the ministry, the saints, for the building up for the body of Christ. That's why we do the ministry, to build up until we all. So we, our job is not done because we are to do it until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of Son of God, to mature manhood and womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer, this is the purpose, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. As God has called us to. And I want to challenge you, and the reason why I chose this is because over the last six years, we have relied very much on the coal and dust and to do many things for us. And they have done a job well done. But they've also equipped many of you. They've brought many of you alongside. And so now with their departure, Nicole last year, though she's still children's ministry, she's just not full time. And when Dustin leaving, I am going to need you to come alongside and fill those voids. They have given us a vision of what we could do every Friday during the school year with 40 to 50 kids coming to hear our Sunday school program. That's all it really was. They gave us a vision of a four-week summer program that could reach 100 kids four days a week sharing with them the gospel. A VBS of 120 plus. The birth of a Spanish congregation. That is what this small church did. But the architects of those can no longer do that. So they've given us a vision. They've helped equip us over these last six years. They showed us the roadmap how to do it. Now I need you to come alongside and assist me in doing either those or something like that. In other words, we need to realize it's not just about us coming, listening to me, doing some singing, writing our check, and then leaving. You and I are called together as a local visible expression to do something much larger than ourselves so that others may come and know Christ. He has called us to reach up, to reach in, and to reach out. We use that to reach up in worshiping God. God is looking for those to worship Him. He's called us to reach in by doing life together, by helping each other grow in spiritual maturity and also in doing life together through fellowship. And he's called us to reach out by sharing the gospel and doing ministry with love. I encourage you, would you join me in doing that? But I do not want to do that if it's not a biblical, authentic community. As a church, we could hire staff a secular staff to do much of that. But we want to do something much greater. I want to encourage you, join us, be part of the biblical community. For this glorifies God. It, 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 as, as you see, it drives others to see who God is. It is the church that Christ died to make it possible that you and I could have eternal life. 
It is He who helps us and gives us a vision of what we could be. And it's the Holy Spirit who comes and empowers us to use our spiritual gifts so we may build and encourage and use the Word of God who gives us our roadmap, our direction, the truth. This is what you and I are called to do. Would you join me in being a part of a biblical, authentic community? With every head bowed and every eye closed, ask the worship team to go ahead and come on up. <clears throat> just want you to take a moment to pause and think and consider what I shared this morning. I want you to pray and ask God, search me. In what way do I need to be part of that? Have I, have I bought into it? Do I understand the importance of that? Do I need my heart regenerated? Do I need to fight the, the lure of individualism that still uh, just stays in my heart? To respond to the Spirit's work as He roots that out. It may be costly, it may be difficult, it may be painful, but that's part of being a child of God. Would you take a moment and do so this morning? So, Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this wonderful word picture of the first church of Jerusalem. And, Father, how you changed their hearts, and you dramatically changed their lives, and changed the landscape of the world forever with the, with the entrance of Christ, and him crucified and resurrected. And, Father, the hope is he's coming again to unite us with him. And in the meantime, Lord, let us do eternity here by living in community. Drive it into our hearts. Expose the ways in which individualism still uh, competes for worship. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do our work through us and for us. We praise in Christ's name. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.